When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. You are listening to episode 208. I am your host, Greg. I am here tonight with Ryan and Tyler, but I am also here tonight with managing editor and senior writer at the Daily Face Off, Matt Larkin. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, guys. I'm excited to talk about the wings. Geographically, they're they're close to me, so there's there's some kinship there. You know, they're still they're close to my heart, even though I'm not a fan. So it's always fun to talk wings. Meaning you don't have to wake up too early or too late to watch them play. Exactly. You got it. <laughs> or be upset with the current state of affairs. Yeah. Not close enough to be too worried about how they're performing currently. Exactly. I'm, I'm not emotionally invested, but I, I still feel close enough to the team. I see them enough that I, I care. <laughs> Everyone should care. Original six franchise. Steve Eiserman's in charge. Everyone should I care. go that far. Not one of those irrelevant franchises that you don't care about. <laughs> Ryan and Tyler, how are you guys? Oh, I'm not too bad. I could have done without that debacle of a game in Colorado this afternoon. But uh, other than that, I'm okay. I guess you could say I started back at work today after paternity leave. So that was that was mildly brutal. That's why I look partly put together for a change. I'm doing great. I did what Red Wings Ryan, not you. There's another Ryan, Red Wings Ryan, uh, tweeted out saying, I'm not going I'm not going to watch the wings today. I'm going to lift weights and become jacked. And that's what he did. And so I did the same thing. I actually happened to see that tweet while I was at the gym. So shout out to Red Wings, Ryan. Did you, did you take a selfie and respond to it? I did respond to it. I didn't take a selfie, but I was at the gym. Wow. Anyhow. Yeah, no, that, I could have went without that game as well. I did see some of the highlights and uh, not pretty. So without a selfie, no one's going to know just how jacked you are, Tyler. True. Um, but we you gotta do the a- one in the mirror where you're like kind of shoulders, your lats getting out there and you got to. Head down, taking the picture. I can see that being you. Tyler off LTIR back on the podcast. So what we're going to start tonight with, basically, we're going to kind of do a little uh, roundabout. We got trade deadline scenarios. Cider and Raymond are climbing out of their slumps. Um, But first, I kind of want to start with what the Red Wings need to do to get back in the playoff picture. They are currently six points behind the Islanders for a wild card spot with two games in hand. Now, they did toss the Avs game out the window. Um, it was really not good. Blame the elevation, blame the refs, blame whatever. I mean, you're going to blame poor defensive play and leaving your goaltender out to dry. Um, but we've kind of seen it go back and forth this season between really good play and not so great play. But we're finally getting healthy. And and Matt, I kind of want to get your take on what you've seen from the Red Wings so far this season and, and where you think they need to be to get back into the playoff picture. Yeah, they're, they're sort of in that murky middle right now. The good news is you look at that loss to Colorado, at least it wasn't a divisional loss because right now, just given how tight it's getting, especially as the Penguins are falling down, 
they're not the wings aren't that far out of the playoff stretch the playoff hunt here especially if they've got games in hand on pretty much everybody so they are in a situation where if they get a little bit hot if they win some of these division or at least interconference games they can actually gain grounds so that's the good news about the loss today it doesn't matter in that sense in terms of what they actually have to do as a team I still see a team that is very much a work in progress, especially on the defensive side of the puck, but even on the offensive side of the puck, they're bottom third in the NHL and five on five, pretty much everything in terms of scoring chance generation, in terms of allowing chances. This is just a below average team. And I think their record is actually better than the quality of their play has been. And to me, what it comes down to, and it sounds harsh to lead off the episode like this, fellas, but this team is not that talented yet. It's going to be when you get Marco Casper coming to town, when you get Simon Edvinson on the roster permanently, but you're playing Robbie Fabry on your top line. Last I checked on your top line. This game. Yeah. It's a symptom, right? It's a symptom that this team has a long way to go in terms of its actual high end talent. So that's why I'm still worried about how far the wings can go this season. Yeah. That that kind of plays into conversations that were being had today. Greg, I think you were a part of that with, uh, you look at Dylan Larkin on this team, he's your 1C, but it's arguably, and we've had this conversation before on here, that many of these top-tier playoff teams, he likely falls into a 2C. That's not a knock on him by any means, but it's just the fact of the matter because if you watch the Nathan McKinnon goal today, I'm sorry, you don't have that burst of speed and that excitement typically coming from Dylan Larkin. I get it. He has the uh, the fastest skater record, or he had that, and it's... You know that he can do things that are going to be explosive at times, but they're not like that. The way that McKinnon was able to steal that puck and then just completely separated himself from the red line on, that's what they miss in terms of a top-tier player. Is it going to be Casper? I'm not going to hold my breath. Is it going to be a Lucas Raymond? Still not going to hold my breath. Can they provide a scoring punch? Yeah, but Larkin being your number one guy, like you said, Matt, that's, that's where I think they're still hurting a lot. And that sucks. I'm and like you said, we thought I don't like to call them. Dis- I mean, OK, so this was a discussion. This was with George Malik and a couple other people where they said it's not a knock on Dylan Larkin because Dylan Larkin's a great player. He's shown time and time again. He's a great player. I'm done with the He's not a one C conversation. He's clearly shown he is. He's not the superstar level player. He's not your McKinnon. He's not your Leon Dreisaitl who's going to go in and just score in buckets. And Dylan Larkin generally is a playmaker first and a scorer second. And granted, he has been playing kind of injured for a handful of games. He did hurt his wrist. He's playing through that. And I mean, credit to him because that's kind of what you need to do when you're the leader of the team and you're you're the most important piece right now, basically. And yeah, we are still waiting for a Lucas Raymond. I still think Lucas Raymond could develop into a Mitch Marner kind of player. And he's shown he has the scoring touch. He's shown he can be elusive. He's shown that he's got good hands. It just needs to be consistent. He's coming out of the slump, which is a a positive thing. And I went back through so far. The Red Wings are 18, 16 and seven, but their PDO is still hovering around 100. And that to me is impressive, meaning they're playing around the level that a team of their composition should be playing at. I think the key going forward is you need a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi to just do something like start doing something, show up. And he did that a little bit today. He got toward the net. Nothing went in, but he looked a little more alive. It just seems that recently when he's on the ice, he if he's too far away from a good player, he just looks lost like nothing's happening. You need to keep Robbie Fabry hot, like going. You need to keep the uh, the input from Cider and the input from Raymond going. 
and you need your defense to just step up. It, your, your defensive plan cannot be block shots. It needs to be make plays. I mean, they're going to have to do both, but it just don't seems tell like towards that. It just seems, yeah, and don't give Torts an iPad. I think that's the other thing. But it's it's they need to have more of a defensive plan than just try and block everything because that's not working. So I think that's kind of my take on what they need to do to to, and they also need the other teams that bad luck. That's that's the other thing is other teams cannot perform well. But I think if we would have been like I said from before, if we would have been this healthy from the beginning of the season, now all Verona back would have also helped. I think we'd probably still be in a wild card position. I think three of those games, at least three or four of those games that we lost, could have been winnable given the lineup we have now. I, I think the one thing that I wonder about, if if we talk about the actual rebuild still, um, I wonder if they kind of punted on um, you know getting a first overall pick or you know getting a, a lottery pick still because they still really haven't gotten that right. And I know we talk about the luck and we talk about the you know the bingo balls going going your way or whatever the ping pong balls, but like it's almost like we want this rebuild to be over so fast that like we're not cutting corners because I don't think we're cutting corners, but we're we're kind of just punting on the idea of. And I hate tanking too, right? But I mean, you still kind of need that lottery player if you're going to be a Stanley Cup contender or a Stanley Cup champion. I think there was a stat that I saw. Um, I think it was last year. The last team that didn't have a lottery pick was like oh four or something like that, and it might it might even be before that. So it was a while. It's been a while since a team that didn't have a lottery pick won a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I think I think it was right before Crosby and Ovechkin like was one of those teams. I can't remember. I know which one you were referring to, but it was it's been close to twenty years. Right, not a coincidence that it was pre-salary cap because you you can patch over that that problem pre-salary cap. Whereas post-salary cap, you need that star player on an entry level deal. And the only way you can get that kind of player is if you trade for them, which not likely. You sign them in free agency or you draft them. And you know, signing in free agency, we all know that most of the time when you sign someone in free agency. They're past their prime, or at least, you know, you're paying for what they've done versus what they're going to do. So, yeah, like you said, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, those guys and Nathan McKinnon, they're not going to free agency. I mean, the, the closest person to that that went to free agency was Stamkos, and he still went back to Tampa. So Matthews could, though. Sure. And then all the Arizona Twitter, the all 10 of them will explode. So. And and I guess this is where the conversation is trending toward the Iser plan because there has been some, I guess, there's been wavering, there's been a disturbance course, in the force, a disturbance in the force, Ryan, and um, it's, it's been. it has brought out the absolute worst in people over the past 48 hours when they waved Ned. There's no middle ground at this point. That's what I had said. That's polar opposites. But I'm going to I am going to unleash Matt Larkin on the Iser plan because he's got some words uh, he informed us before we hit the record button on the Iser plan. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to let you start this off. Sure. And, And first of all, in the era of social media, that's where we get these polar opposites this extreme, everything has to be binary. It's not true. You can watch a movie. It can be a seven out of 10. It doesn't have to be a zero or a 10. And the Iser plan can be just okay. It doesn't have to be the greatest plan ever concocted. It doesn't have to be terrible. That's what Twitter wants you to say. In real life, we can have a rational discussion here and acknowledge that it's going okay. 
If we look at Eisman, he came on in 2019. His draft picks are going great. His first draft pick is Mort Sider, considered a reach of the time. It's a genius-looking pick now, of course. Lucas Raymond looks great. Simon Evanson, scouts I've talked to think his upside is Victor Hedman level. You have Sebastian Cosa, future possible star in net. The list goes on and on. So that element, okay, fine. And the other thing Eisman has done well, which he's which he learned from the regime in terms of Ken Holland, Jim Neal, the previous Red Wings regime, is to slow cook your prospects. Don't force them to the pros. Don't put too much pressure on them. When they arrive, they're very mature. We saw that especially with Cider. So again, that's a check mark. Where I'm starting to waver a little bit, a couple different things. So one is the idea that Eisenman was going so conservative that you can sometimes create a bit of a losing culture, holding on to Jeff Blashill for so long. And sometimes you get these coaches that they're sort of the shepherd coach. It's a known thing. They're part of the beginning of a rebuild. They're not going to be the coach that actually takes this team deep into the playoffs. They're sort of the, the janitor coach. If you keep that coach too long, you build this losing culture and this team that gets so used to losing that it's really hard to break that. The other thing that Eisman did, I think, that I'm starting to worry about this past offseason, he made some unforced errors. If you're playing conservative, you're thinking big, when you finally decide to get aggressive, you don't sign the mediocre C plus B minus type of talent in free agency. You don't sign an Andrew Cobb, who is never a goal scorer in his life before last year, never even a goal scorer in junior. He has, what, three goals this year? Not a big surprise. He was never a high-end talent. That was a buy-high by Steve Eisman, and I called it as a bust sign in the minute it happened. Also, Ben Sherratt was a disaster defensively last year. If you looked under the hood, he got caved in. What happened this year? He got caved in again, and he dragged Moritz Sider down with him. What happens when you remove him from that pair with Moritz Sider? Sider's game takes off. That's another unforced error by Eisenman, sort of thinking in the, the just-make-the-playoffs mode, which is exactly what you don't want to do, and that kind of went against what he had been doing up to this point. And now you're saddled with a couple guys, especially Cop, signed long-term. That's not going to be a championship piece. And it sort of dooms the wings. It, it, it puts them into a point where they're playing well enough. They're not, like you guys said, going to get that lottery pick. So it's almost like Iserman, he got away from what he was doing right, which is more the Rob Blake or Joe Sackick style, play it very conservative. And when you finally go all in, you're, you're taking bigger swings. And I, I've sort of felt a little bit of a wavering confidence here ever since the offseason. And some of it, of course, is not necessarily Eisenman's fault. You couldn't have predicted what was going to happen with, with Jakob Vrana. Um, but if you look at the other trade he made for Alex Nelkovic, obviously it didn't work out as well as it seemed to at the time. So if I'm just speaking in a nutshell, I think some things are going right with this plan, but I think some things are not. And we're seeing a few leaks starting to spray on the boat. Now, I'll push back a little bit on Andrew Kopp. Um, he did not get a preseason. He didn't get a training camp because recovery from core. So okay. I figured it would take him a little longer to come back. And he is on pace for a career year so far. So 50, he's on pace for about 50 points. Um, I think he did score today. Was that his goal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's up to four and 20. He had two points. So it would be four goals, 21 assists. And I, I would agree that I don't think Andrew Kopp. Now, my take on it is Andrew Kopp, by the time Marco Casper is here, they'll shift Andrew Kopp to the wing. And I think Andrew Kopp could be much better suited as a winger because it frees him up from the defensive responsibility because he is a pretty decent two-way center. I mean, he's decent yeah. defensively. So I'll give Andrew Kopp, if Andrew Kopp continues on the pace that he is on now, which the past 10 or so games, he's been fairly good. I, I think he'll end up on a winning year this year. And he's only 28, so he hasn't hit the 30 threshold yet. And I, maybe he's a little expensive, 
but I think Iser, part of Iserman's plan, the way I look at it, is he's probably banking on in the next few years the cap going up. The Sherratt deal, the we hoped what it was going to do was give Cider a partner that could clear space for him. What it did was it gave Cider a partner that could clear space for them, but then also forgot to defend. <laughs> so you're right. His defensive numbers have been absolutely abysmal. Now, again, he scored a goal today, too. So his offensive side is OK, but you're paying a guy. Now, I think Olimata is still sitting on the third pair because he's still, I mean, coming back from having pneumonia, which is absolutely insane. They're like, yeah, I just had pneumonia. We're like, but you're playing professional hockey. You should probably slow down a little bit. They've been restricting his minutes a little bit. I think if at the end of the day, if Ben Sherratt is a third pair defenseman on your team that you're paying over five million dollars for, that's bad. That's not just good. south of. But yeah, yeah, that's not good. So it's that is one I will give you. I'll give you uh, the what I would consider the panic signing of Robert Haig. Uh, Mark Pissick goes down with an injury, has to have surgery. You sign Haig. Haig's been abysmal. He was activated off of IR today uh, after the Nadelkovich clear. You can look at people will point back to the Brendan Perlini trade, even though it was a minor piece that was traded for Brendan Perlini. So not all the trades have been home runs or signings, but I would say Dominic Kubelik has been a great signing. Who who saw that resurgence? I mean, you could kind of look at the Tampa black hole and maybe a Kubelik resurgence coming out of that. You look at um, uh, Olimata, who is having a great year. I mean, 15 points in 37 games. He already surpassed his entire season last season with L.A. Uh, Helberg off waivers seems to be a decent move so far. Vili Huso, though his stats don't look pretty, I mean, he's keeping the team in games when he's Mm -hmm. in games. He's doing as much as he can. So... I think that the Iser plan, part of it is that the Iser plan was going so, so well up until the second part of this season, basically, uh, so far. So the second quarter. And it's where you get a few bad losses within a, a pretty short time period and people start the start pounding the dirt online. And you're right. It's it's either you're in camp. Iserman's a god or you're in camp. Iserman's the worst. And there's no middle. And it's it's really tiring because I think if you look at an overall picture so far, Iserman's done a, a good job. I would say with his drafts, his drafts and what he's been able to hit on. And then guys like Perron and Kubalik and, and guys that have come in and contributed in this offseason. I would say that the rebuild is is probably a year or so ahead of of, of schedule from where it was. I mean, if you would have looked at the team last year and, and looked at it this year. And there's positive development, obviously, that I think we're a bit ahead. It's tough. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, what Matt mentioned in some of these signings, they're fair to be criticized. Ben Sherratt's price point, I think what pissed off most people is that he's 31 years old. He'll be 32 in, and not until May. So for and he's this at 4. team, 4.75 million. But yeah, he's just south. Like Right now, he is your highest paid defenseman. And you would expect now this is going back to conversations we've had last season with DeKaiser as your highest paid defenseman. You expect a hell of a lot more out of that. And right now we're not getting that. You've seen him move around as, with his partners. And you could argue that each guy that he's played with, they've played worse. Aronik's on the fence because he's just having a fantastic season and kind of piggyback, piggybacking off of the offensive output that he had from last year. 
but he's also playing a complete game, you could argue. Now, where you go with Sherratt, you're kind of stuck. He's got a modified no-trade clause. I think what his is a 10-team list. So, And you've got him for three more seasons after this. If that cap goes up, you can eat that a little bit. It becomes less of an issue, especially if it's going to be in between what or are they talking three to five million potentially over the next year, two years? Yeah, but then I just if, was told the other day that it's probably only going to go up a million because they want to pay out escrow. But even still, if it goes up a million, you're still not hurt for their current situation. Now, two years from now, if that doesn't, if it only goes up a million or if that, then you're worried even more because if you're not going to sign Cider and Raymond in this offseason, and you're going to take that into the following offseason, you don't. You still hardly have a cap bump, then you're kind of starting to worry. But again, that depends on what happens with Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, and so on. So there's other going to be other things at play. But right now, I'm still not too concerned with Cop and Sherratt's cap hits at the moment. Cop, like you said, he's finally come into his own. We were talking about that early. I think there's some frustration with all of us the way that he was playing. But I think that that core muscle he's finally come into his own and he's finally hit that hockey level of play or elite level of play i guess you could say for what an nhler expects it just wasn't there he finally seems to be healed you could say that bert looks to be healed so certain guys finally are we're seeing from them what we expected and and that's all we can hope for but what does is that going to turn into wins that's where those those criticisms are going to be coming through especially when you refer to this season versus last season, yeah, this team has arguably looked better with the eye test, but on paper, it's not much different. And with some of these blowout losses that we're seeing this year, we saw that a lot last year and the year before. And I think that's where some of that boiled up frustration is coming from, is that these losses are still the same. And that's where people are like, what is actually happening at this point? While it looks better, it still isn't in a way. They're competing more. Seems to be a bit more parity in the East. I mean, I, we, we all talked about it before. We didn't expect Boston to go absolutely apeshit and destroy pretty much everyone that they came up against this season. But it's gotten a little bit tighter. now. And we've already talked about the gauntlet that Detroit had in, in December. And they did that with a depleted roster. Now they've got a healthy roster, but we're still seeing some of that struggle. So things need to click and it needs to be kind of quick. Tyler? Yeah, I mean, as a whole, I think the rebuild is is on the right track. There's certainly some issues. Um, <clears throat> you know, those those two signings, Cop and Sherratt, and especially Haig. I think Haig's a pretty miserable one too, considering how he's played. Sherratt, I mean, I said on the podcast the other day, I I said I really hate watching him play hockey. And it's true. I I like his physicality, but besides that, I mean, you would think he's this big meat and potatoes defenseman who can play really good defense. And it's kind of the opposite. He's a pretty good offensive defenseman, but when it comes to defense, it's he's MIA. So, I mean, I think that's that's the biggest issue. But in terms of the rebuild, I mean, I think if you look at the team itself, like, yes, they're competing. They're right in it. The, the East is pretty competitive. But if you look at, like, the whole landscape of the rebuild itself, like, we talk about that lottery pick that, that I feel like Eisenman kind of got ahead of himself a little bit instead of slow playing it like the way he was playing slow playing it the whole time. And then he said, you know what? Okay. Let's get some winning culture going here. But what winning culture is going to do is it's going to help you 
yeah, okay, you know, establish a culture, but it's also going to hurt you in, in the sense of the lottery and in the sense of, you know, the, you know, the draft. And, and that's where, you know, you're going to create yourself as a Stanley Cup contender unless you get lucky or you, you get a player from Russia or, or something like that. I mean, that's the only way you're going to get better is, is have some sort of a lottery pick or some sort of a impact player. And they really just don't have that. Uh, like we talked about on offense, they're, they're hard to watch on offense. And you would think that that would be the strength of this team, considering the players that they do have up front. Um, I guess you can kind of blame the injuries that they've had as well. But, um, you know, just as a team this year, you're also missing your game breaker in Verona. He's your offensive game breaker. He's the guy who could just come in and score goals at will. And I mean, that's a big piece that's missing. Tyler Bertuzzi was the other one. Like last season, Bert could come in and he could score goals. Yeah. And then he's out for most of the season. And when he is in, he's not scoring. I agree with you. I mean, you know, the, the biggest thing, too, is is there's there's been so many injuries that really haven't had a chance to get their entire roster out there. And, you know, I know most teams don't. But, you know, can you get 90 percent of your roster healthy and, and see what that team looks like? Because I'll tell you what, that team looks a hell of a lot different than the team that we're seeing on the ice right now. And I think the other I mean, you can argue, too, though, teams that are depleted that are still sticking around. I mean, look at Colorado. They had some of their top guys out, but they're still in the thick of it. And then they come out and run us into the ground, even though they're not even fully healthy. I think when you're stretched thin, it's like Detroit is stretched so thin compared to, you know, Colorado, it's defending Stanley Cup champion. So even their depleted version of themselves is still pretty good. Whereas Detroit, there's no margin for error for a team that's trying to break through. If you're stretched thin, you lose a couple of key pieces from your top six forward, but you can't afford it. And then you, you just sink. Also, Matt, you made a good point of of the wings, you know, maybe just trying to look towards making the playoffs again. And I, I know that that, you know, as as wings fans, we want to make the playoffs again. But it sounds very familiar to a, you know, a former regime and trying to just make the playoffs, because I'll tell you what, that's not good enough in Detroit anymore. The, the, we want I mean, obviously, that's the first step of making the playoffs. But, you know, in the end, you want to win a Stanley Cup. That's the goal of, of you know being a fan of a team or, or a supporter of a team. Uh, so, you know, just making the playoffs and just, you know, trying to have a, a middle of the road team, you know, to get to the playoffs and get your ass kicked by Toronto or Boston or whoever, uh, that's just, to me, that's, that's pointless. And not God forbid this team gives Toronto their first, first round win oh in my forever. God. I would lose my shit. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, an ultimate breakdown of the fan base right it, there. No, thank you. Could you imagine if the Wings were were the team that continued to extend Toronto's misery in the playoffs? Now that would be great if we were no, just, just streaking through the quad four. Be a reversal in '93, <laughs> first round. But, but Matt, do you think that maybe maybe part of the reason that guys like this were brought in was to pull the team out of that that losing feeling? To maybe you've got a guy like Dylan Larkin who really had not made the playoffs since his hasn't made the playoffs since his first season with the team. And you bring him in and he works his ass off and he shows he's a leader of this team and you make him captain and you tell him we're going to put a team. Basically, they have said in a handful of interviews that you tell him you're going to start putting pieces around him, get him a team to start working with, to start developing a winning culture, maybe at the expense of a high draft pick. Uh, maybe maybe Iserman knows something we don't. And Iserman always knows something we don't. He does not. He's not a GM to tip his hand. But do you think that maybe he sacrificed some of the slow play 
to get guys in here that knew knew what they were doing. If you look at the guys he brought in, David Perron, David Perron's one. Andrew Kopp's been places where he's one. Um, not Kubelik, but they, he's bringing in guys. Uh, Olimata. Olimata, yeah, Vili Huso. He's bringing in guys from places that have a winning culture, that have been to the playoffs, that have won Stanley Cups. So maybe that's part of the the plan is to maybe bump up this year, and you never know who he could sell off at the trade deadline, and we'll talk about that. But do you think maybe that's part of it is that, sure, Iserman may look like he's rushing a little bit, but maybe it's to try to kind of satiate these guys who are, are used to now losing. Oh, I'm sure. I think that's exactly what it is. And it, it might sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I think to me the issue is the tier that he reached for in terms of finding those players to, to get this team closer to win now. If you sign a guy like a cop, for example, to me, that's a great piece. If your team's already in the playoffs, if you're competitive, if you're entering Stanley Cup contender status, that's a piece you you add to put you over the top. But at this phase, if you're trying to really change your team identity, if it was a Johnny Gaudreau, if it was a Nazem Kadri, if it was one of the higher end UFAs you're bringing in, to me, that I would support. It's okay. Now we're talking. Now let's let, let's say let's say we play out the Kadri example. Now we got a real number two center to pair with Dylan Larkin. This team is actually pretty dangerous in the top six. It changes the face of the team a lot, even if it was Claude Giroux. And I actually supported the David Perron signing. He's a top three power play player in the world over the past three years. Only McDavid and Dreisaitl were more productive than David Perron going into the season over the previous three years. So to me, that was more of a high-end signing that I really liked because that's a player I think that was really underrated, can make a difference, can be more of a high-end difference maker in terms of talent. But if you're getting the more middling guys, the cops and Sherratts, who are good players, I'm not saying, especially Cop, he's not a bad player. He's just not a special talent. And to me, that's where you don't want to be because those kind of guys are going to elevate you to the murky middle. They're never going to put you over the top and turn you into an elite contender. That's why you're better off sort of searching for those supplementary guys when you're later in your process. Right now, if the best option was to bring in a guy like Cop, a guy like Sherratt, then I think you might have been better off just holding off another year trying to get that lottery pick. That makes sense. And I mean, and you did get to and I think the upside of that is guys who you kind of held back in order to pick up these guys and not play like a like a Bear Grin has come in due to injury and just blown the doors off. You played you started in Elmer Soderblom from the beginning and he's he performed very well. Now he had to go back because of limited roster space. But I think we want to look toward now the trade deadline and actually, so before we look toward the trade deadline, because we've gone pretty far, I want to take a quick second for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll jump into it because it's a pretty lengthy topic. So we'll be right back in one second. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wildcard round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get no sweat bet each day of the wildcard round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? And I guess it's too bad that the refs jobbed the Lions because they could make a ton more money if the Lions were in the playoffs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on any NFL game and get 200 in free bets instantly, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And we're back. And it is trade deadline in a little over a month and a half. Uh, so we've got time, but articles have started flying. Names have started flying. The Red Wings have like 10 UFAs uh, coming up. They've got an RFA in Joe Valeno that they're going to have to sign. They've got a RFA in Gustav Lindstrom who can go away. 
Um, but Matt Larkin, you recently wrote an article called The Five Potential Unsung Heroes of the 2023 NHL Trade Deadline. And our big name on there and the one we have talked about most often is Tyler Bertuzzi. There was uh, a little bit of a rumble that came out in the game we played against Winnipeg, I think it was. There were several St. Louis Blues scouts there along with uh, their general manager. So it looks like the Red Wings are the Blues maybe scouting the Red Wings and Tyler Bertuzzi is a big name. Uh, you had written that it is possible that the Red Wings intend to re-sign Bertuzzi in the offseason, in which case it would take a lot for them to give uh, him up at the deadline. And if they think they can make the playoffs, he isn't going anywhere. Um, I am not confident that the conversations with Tyler Bertuzzi to re-sign are going very well. Uh, he mm -hmm. has had uh, problems in the past with contract negotiation. He has been injured. If I, I said earlier today that I don't even know if I'm comfortable giving Bertuzzi like a five-year, $5 million contract because of the injuries he's had and then how he's looked when coming back. But do you still think the return for him would be as high as if they traded him last season? It, maybe teams go off of his past book of work? I, I think last season he was having a tremendous year, but then there was more of the concern about where he could play with the vaccination status that almost offset this year. Now he's a rental. So maybe now that there's no concern anymore about the vaccination status, it's actually roughly the same. A, a disclaimer, the article, I got to give a shout out to Neftali Clinton. He was the author of that article. I, I, I didn't manage that article. I edited that article, but I can't take credit for it. Neftali Clinton's the guy who wrote it. Um, but with Bertuzzi, to me, I, I, I'm curious if you guys are going to agree with me on this one. I think he's a sell high for Steve Eiserman. He's 27 years old. He's coming off a tremendous season last year. He's been proven to be pretty injury prone. Kind of reminds me of Brendan Gallagher that way, a really scrappy player. But sometimes he's his own worst enemy, can't get out of his own way. He just plays a style that is so taxing. He cannot help himself but get banged up. So to me, I think because of his style, because of the, the sort of playoff friendly caliber that he brings right he's scrappy he can be an agitator i think he's someone that's going to be very valuable at the trade deadline and i think you cash out that chip by the time the wings are breaking through i think bertuzzi is going to be past his prime anyway so i think he's a prime sell high i think you can get a first round pick for him uh maybe even more because there could be a bidding war for this type of player when you think about contenders that know they need a little bit more sandpaper to get over the top i could totally see a bidding war situation so I agree there. We had said now, I think we had all agreed, me, Ryan and Tyler, from the beginning that you're right about it. Tyler Bertuzzi is a rough and tumble guy. He's he bangs in the corners. He He's the grit factor. But that's the kind of style of play that does not lead you to a super lengthy, high production, high productive career. You may be you may see Tyler Bertuzzi by the time he's 30 start to decline. And that's not the Red Wings window for contention. So I'm on the same bus. You sell high. Uh, you sell him well, a team like maybe Boston can use him. Toronto's apparently had their eye on him for a very long time. And now you'd have to probably, if you retain some salary on the deal, because he is a rental, it doesn't matter how much you retain. The Red Wings have the cap space to retain that you're right. You may be able to get a high prospect. You may be or you may be able to get a high pick. You may be able to get a high pick and a good prospect. You may be able to take Tyler Bertuzzi and bundle him for a good roster player. So that is that's one that I would kind of be looking at because you'd also have to assume that a team, if it is not a playoff team or it's a playoff team with the cap space and thinks they're going to be a playoff team for the next few years, that they're going to want to get a contract in place with Bertuzzi, too. That they're not going to trade for him without contract, uh, knowing that he's going to sign a contract. 
So I think Bertuzzi, I think they'll look at his past, look at what he's been able to do. He's been a 30-goal scorer in his career. The back injury doesn't seem to be an issue anymore, and the past two injuries were both wrists, which seem to be okay now. Um, I, I would agree that I would sell high. I don't see a reason in keeping him. I see further roster crunch or cap crunch if you do keep him and try to re-sign him. So I'm also on the sell boat. Yeah, I, I think what we're, as Greg mentioned, we're all in the same boat. Like we, we thought last year was your best chance to try to sell him off and get the highest possible pull you could. Now, if that can, if he can have a great next month or so of, of play, then that has it's still a thing for us to go go for. And for the way that things have gone this season, I mean, it makes sense to try to do that because for all intents and purposes, they could very well likely be two, two years still away from even truly breaking through that playoff barrier. I hope not. I hope that's going to be next year. Well, maybe if things get crazy, it'll be this year, but I doubt it. But like to your point, Matt, by the time that finally does come around and they are actually threatening in the playoffs, He's going to be 33, 34. It's not to say that he may fall off completely, but the odds aren't in his favor at this point. So what if you can pull in, like you said, a first round pick for Tyler Bertuzzi, I'm taking that all day. Because if you give that type of capital to Iserman, and we've already seen his last several first round picks, and he really can't be too upset about those. If he can get another one, make that two coming into this season, and what looks like a pretty damn good draft year, you do it. And I'm not going to be very upset. Now, am I going to be upset because you lose a guy like Bertuzzi? Yes, he's like a, a Kachuk light, if you will, in terms of he's going to piss you off, but he's not going to be a complete piece of shit about it. So that's where you have that type of guy. And then he's going to go out there and score a goal on you, or he's going to steal the puck and have a great crossing pass to set up somebody for another goal. So is he still the top of who I think Detroit should be willing to be separate from? Yes. Would I want that to happen? Not necessarily, because I still think that he can help push this team above where they need to be if he stays on this roster. But again, like Greg, what you mentioned, how much is that going to cost? We don't know. Tyler? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Bertuzzi is, I mean, I I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but, you know, you you should have sold high last year. Um, You really kind of couldn't because of the whole vaccine situation. I wouldn't be against trading him. I, I think that if you're not, I'm I'm of the, you know, belief that if you're not going to resign someone, uh, you're better to get something for him than lose him for nothing. And I do think I do agree with Matt there. Uh, he is the type of player that a playoff team will look at and say, you know what, I want this guy in the lineup, whether it's on the second line or the third line or even the fourth. I don't think he's a fourth line player, but you know it. Either way, somewhere in the lineup, he can fit in on a playoff team and, you know, have some tremendous success, really. I mean, you just think about him playing for, I don't know, think about Toronto, think about Boston, think about Colorado, some, Colorado, some teams out West. Um, it's hell, Seattle. I mean, they got a ton of cap space. They're, they're a team that, you know, is in the playoff race right now. So, I mean, how about a team like that? Um you know, there's there's a lot of different options, but but the biggest thing is, to me is like, if you're not going to re-sign him, trade him away, get what you can for him. A first round pick, hell, I'd sign me up for that. I mean, you know, Eisenman's done a great job with his first round picks um, historically, even going back to Tampa. So, 
I'm all for it. I'm all for it, especially if it it can get you, you know, a couple more swings at it. But I will say one thing. I don't think they're trading them if the wings are, you know, in the playoff uh, hunt still. So, right. That's one thing thing. that I'm intrigued, though, by is, yes, he's got just south of a five million dollar camp, like a one for one team trade. I don't necessarily think may work. Are we going to have to see the brokerage deals going on again? That's already been talked about a little bit. And like, are we going to have to have a three team deal? to make that cap hit work for a team like say Toronto, for instance, if they were the ones that finally made things happen to go get him, who else is going to have to be involved? You'd have to probably retain as much salary as possible. And you'd have to take back a roster player from Toronto to make that happen, which not really a big deal. Um, And then, yeah, you could do another uh, you could add in a third team to maybe take another player from Toronto. That's just taking up space for a pick and send a pick back to Toronto or whatever. But I don't, Teams make it at the end of the day, teams make it work. If they want a player, they'll make it work. Uh, it doesn't matter what they have to do to make it work. They'll make it work. Red Wings legend, David Savard. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even jump on the plane, Ryan. That's yeah, you know. And, and maybe again, maybe it's all part of the grand scheme. But if you can get a first round pick for Tyler Bertuzzi and the Red Wings have a glut of defensive prospects, high caliber defensive prospects that are all coming up around the same time. Maybe you can take both your first round picks plus a prospect and move up in this draft to a relatively high position where you can take a, a really, really good prospect. Instead of sitting at 15 and having two picks, maybe 15 and, and 25, maybe you can take those two picks and you can move up in the top five. So there's always that. There's always Iserman is a wizard and he'll always find something like that to do. No one saw us moving up to take Kosa and it happened. So, uh, Matt, did you have anyone else on your your trade list for Detroit that might be? I mean, I've got a couple people, but I wanted to kind of get your your look at it. Well, for me, the most important name is the name that I angrily crossed off the list, and that's Dylan Larkin. I think it's a massive, massive mistake if the Red Wings trade Dylan Larkin. I know it's scary right now, the situation with him being unsigned, but if you do not re-sign Dylan Larkin, even if it costs ten million dollars. You are gutted up the middle. You have nothing. It completely, we've already established on this episode that there are some problems with the long-term forward depth there, especially because Joe Valeno just didn't pan out to what he was hopefully going to be. You cannot lose Dylan Larkin. He's so important to the core. And if you lose him, you take a huge step backwards long-term, given all the minutes he plays in so many different situations. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a GM a couple of years ago. There was a prominent player who was going to be on the block. Like I'm talking a first-line caliber player. And I said to the GM, are you going to trade this guy? And he said, if I trade him, I have nobody left. I can't trade everybody. I said, why? And he said, because somebody has to stick around to teach the rest of the kids how to win. you got to keep a couple people around, right? And to me, Dylan Larkin is that player. Bertuzzi is the one that you sell. Dylan Larkin is the one that you keep. He's a little bit younger. He is a much bigger part of the long-term core. And I think that would be a massive mistake. So just in terms of who not to trade, I think it's Dylan Larkin. In terms of cashing out some chips, sure, you can do it with Ali Mata because he has that Stanley Cup experience like you guys mentioned. Maybe somebody thinks that Dominic Kubalik is a Brandon Hagel because he's got the extra year left at a pretty good AAV. If you get a really good offer for him, I think you got to entertain it as well. And then the big curiosity, of course, is Jake Wallman, who is having this weird like late breakout and... Is he going to be something special? He really looks good so far, but do you have to sell that chip? Because that's a a pending UFA as well. So I'm not sure what you do there. Iserman did say apparently the other day that uh, he had been keeping his eye on Jake Wallman since he was in Tampa. 
Mm. So there's there's some history there. And and I agree. Wallman is who knew who knew Wallman would do this. And I guess Wallman had a limited viewing. And even last season, we said, oh, well, Wallman towards the end, the few games he played is pretty good. We're like, please put him with more at Cider. And you put him with more at Cider and just they feed off each other. And we had talked about this last episode and they go back and forth. And and Wallman knows that if he moves up and pinches up in the offense, that Cider is back there to defend. No problem. Cider knows that if he pinches up, Wallman can defend. And it's just it's been beautiful to watch. And you're right. He's he's signed. Uh, he is a UFA at the end of the season. And he is one that I would definitely keep because he's making one point oh five million right now. And I think if you could lock him up for three years at two and a half million, then it's I mean, that's a steal right there. But then you run into the spot of you've got too many left handed defensemen and you need a spot for Albert Johansson and you need a spot for Simon Edvinson and you've got William Wallander coming up. So what are you going to do? So that's my that's my take on the the whole Wallman situation. Uh, what about a guy like Pia Suter? Do you think you get anything for Pia Suter? I mean, he's a dude who's coming up. He's a center and he's, I mean, been relegated to the bottom six. And I think a, a team that might need some center depth could use a Suter because he's been one of our most effective five on five, on five players. Yeah, I think that's a depth piece. And he's proven when he's played a little bit higher in the lineup that there's a little bit of offensive upside as well. And, and when he came over in Europe, he was actually a pretty big scorer when he was in Europe, of course, too. So I could see, you know, mid to late round pick, someone who just needs that little bit of depth. And because you could move him up if you need to, or you can play him on your third or fourth line. And of course, if you need center depth, I could see it being a minor acquisition for sure. That one's tricky for me. I, I go back and forth with Suter a lot because... At times, you're like, you look at the cap hit three, two, five, and you're like, I maybe expect a little bit more. But at the same time, he's also fitting a need of an all situations type guy because he reminds me a lot of a Darren Helm in terms of what he can bring defensively, but also offensively. And I'm probably going to get yelled at for this one because I'm putting Darren Helm out there as a comparison for somebody. But it's like there's so many opportunities where it seems like he has a prime scoring chance. And then he touches it and it's gone. And that, that's been my frustration with him. But if you can trade, like he, he's a perfect fourth line defensive player for any of these playoff teams, I think you'd be okay. Are you going to get anything great out of it? Probably not. That's the only the trade-off on me for that one. I guess my question is, if, if the Wings are in this position right now, are they making a trade or not? Oh, yeah. I th- There's no doubt in my mind that Steve Eiserman still knows he needs pieces. He has said that already, that he's not in the in the camp of uh, trading high picks right now because that's not in the position the team is in. So I, I yeah, think but that- that's a tough sell to the fan base. If you're five points out of a playoff spot and you're, you're punting on on your playoff opportunities, that's that's a tough sell, especially to a fan base is to do nothing, though. Right. It's not it's not to go all in it's just if you keep Tyler Bertuzzi and Oli Mata that's I think that's the message to fans that hey we're we're standing packed because we have a shot the the old Ken Holland I like our team <laughs> my only worry with that is that if you stand pat I'm again I'm not giving a deal that I am not giving Tyler Bertuzzi the deal that he's most likely going to ask for and at that point Tyler you're letting him walk for nothing at the end of the season because you've got to choose you, you've got to you're going to give more at cider probably somewhere in the realm of $10 million. You're going to give, I mean, look at what Boldy just got today, a seven by seven. That's a almost direct Lucas Raymond comparable. So you're going to, you got a lot of money you got to spend. And if Tyler Bertuzzi's asking for a five or six year deal at, at $6 million, 
six and a half, seven million dollars. I just can't I can't see any way to make that work. And you've still got a goalie situation you've got to figure out. Like, is Magnus Helberg, you're going to sign Magnus Helberg to a one and a half million dollar contract and try and find a trade partner for an Adelkovich who just passed through waivers? I mean, Vili Huso is clearly going to be your starter. You've got him signed through 2024, 25, but you need to get rid of a goalie. You're not going to carry three goalies. And that's the other one is, is there a trade market for Ned, even though he he had floundered in Detroit, but has had a very, very good conditioning stint in Grand Rapids? It's more than a conditioning stint now, unfortunately for him. Conditioning stint <laughs> slash reassignment. Extended, extended stay in Grand Rapids after he cleared waivers, which I, I think that's what pisses people off the most right now is that they had such a good attachment to Ned and Vrana, and for good reason. Last year, I mean, ever since Vrana's come on, he was a hot commodity goal scorer in Detroit. And then this season's unfortunate reality hit, and he was gone all year. And he really, it hasn't clicked for him in Grand Rapids to this point. And that's that's frustrating as a fan, but also in a way also understandable as a person. Like he's going through a lot of stuff and that seems to obviously be is, is affecting him. Now, what does that mean long-term for him? We don't know. But with Ned, we thought he was maybe the next coming goaltender for this team. Uso came in. I mean, we were talking about, I think last week, Greg and Tyler, that we thought this could have been potentially if the defense held up one of the best goalie tandems in hockey, top 10 potential. It has been far from it. Not to say that it's all been on the goaltending, but Ned, he has not been good. Hence why he ended up on waivers. It sucks, but it's also just the fact of the matter. And the Helberg thing is also interesting because Iserman picked him up the end of last season and then brought him back again this season. And I think when that happened, that's when the writing was on the wall with Ned. And that's where it's just like, maybe this is probably the swan song for him. Matt, what do you do with Jacob Vrana? Jacob Vrana is a really tough situation because I think the fact that so few teams are willing to touch him speaks volumes. Um, just given the upside he showed, right? So even going back to Washington on a per 60 basis, he was one of the most efficient goal scorers in the league. He comes to Detroit, he immediately lights it up. It's all he does when he's healthy in the, in the lineup. And the fact that there's just deafening silence on him i think it tells us that what's going on personally is something that i think might take some time to resolve might take some time to get him back to a good place mentally so it's sort of a ride out the storm and you hope that he gets his head on straight you hope that he conquers his demons and and is going to be okay as a person and then you go from there but right now i mean i think you can see in the place since the demotion too it's clearly he's not there yet uh, he's been through a lot emotionally, and it might be a situation where you need an offseason to sort of have a mental reset, and then we see what happens. But I'm not expecting anything out of Jakob Vrana for the rest of the season. I wouldn't either. I am also kind of down on the people who are saying he'll never play another game in a Red Wings uniform, or that it's like he, they instantly, as soon as he went into players' assistance, they instantly wrote him off. And I don't think that's fair. I think that everyone, I mean, hell, Steve Eiserman knew guys like Bob Probert. And what the hell they had going on. So it's I don't think you can say a guy going into a player's assistance program or battling through and then being cleared and coming back that they're done with the team. Because, like I said, he is an offensive game breaking talent when he's on. And right now, the the mind is not matching the hands and it's not matching the feet. And that's what he needs to figure out. 
So they say he looks a step behind. They say he can look lost. It's just it's not all working together. But once it all starts working together again, you hope that he can regain that. And I don't think I'm ready to give up on that yet because you still got him for another year. And if you give him that offseason to kind of rehab himself and see what he needs to do to to get back to game shape because he's in good physical shape, he's not in game shape, then I think you've still got something. I don't know if there are fences that need to be mended. I don't know if there are conversations that need to be had there because, I mean, for, for a guy like that, maybe he's not happy he got sent to Grand Rapids. Maybe he thought he was ready to come back right into the NHL lineup, which is a big ask. Um, but I, I, I hold out hope that there is still a way to repair that relationship because he's a guy, one, it's a human being. That's one half. But as a human being that you want them to be well and you want them to be the be- in the best space they can possibly be, and then on another plane, he's a player that's very impactful and he's very good for the team. And he's been fantastic to the fans and into the city. So it's I still hold out hope that that Verona comes back. I still hold up, hold out hope that, you know, maybe later this season we could see a situation like you saw in Ottawa right before COVID where Bobby Ryan had a hat trick in his first game back from being, I think it was in the assistance program, right? In the NHL assistance yeah. program. Yeah. And he went out there and, and he had a hat trick. I think he had five points that night. And, you know, it, it kind of all came back together for Bobby Ryan, who was once again, a lottery pick and, and a really good hockey player. Um, and, you know, we, we saw him up close and personal in Detroit. He was at the end of his career, but still a good, good player and a good, um, you know, teammate and everything else. So hopefully that comes together for Rana. So the last kind of thing I want to go over tonight is Lucas Raymond and Moritz Seider, who the Red Wings, two star young players. And I think they both I, I've said before, I think Mo Seider has superstar potential. I think he's got Kale McCarr potential, um, maybe not as offensively, but I think he's better defensively. So that'll pan itself out. Lucas Raymond, I've, I've made the Mitch Marner comparison. I think he can be that kind of, of goal scorer. I think he can light it up like that. He does need to work on his speed a little bit in his corners, but other than that, Lucas Raymond, and, he, and he's brought it on. Um, he's improved his shooting these past 20 games. So I went and I looked, and I think I'll start with Mo Sider. Mo Sider and Ben Sherratt, and I'm on uh, Natural Stat Trick, as a pair, um, you can just see the difference between Sider and Sherratt and Sider and Wallman. Uh, a Corsi 4 percentage of 43.35 with Sherratt, a 54.74 with Wallman. Uh, they had an expected, uh, they had a goals for percentage of 38.78 with Sherratt, 54.55 with Wallman. Uh, on a save percentage went up by almost an entire percentage point. So, like I said, the confidence, I think Mo Sider is a more confident player when Wallman's on the ice. Wallman is a more confident player being paired with Sider. And it's really given them, I think, helped pull Mo out of the slump. And I'm almost now putting the slump entirely on the shoulders of Ben Sherratt. But I mean, what, what have you seen as the difference? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We're on the same page, Greg. I actually wrote down some numbers earlier today from Natural Statric as well. And the scoring chances, it was 276 to 177 when Sider and Sherratt were together. Minus 99 chance differential. 43% expected goals versus 53 with Wallman. Um, so if, if I'm worth cider, I'm like, Ben, come on, man. I was the Calder trophy winner. You're just wrecking my sophomore vibes. Um, but jesting aside, I I'm a huge Mo cider fan. I think he's absolutely the real deal. I think he's going to be, if not generationally great, I think he's going to be one of the best 
five defensemen in the league for the next 10, 15 years. I think maybe a Victor Hedman or even a Zidane Chara would be the upside I'm looking at as the comparison. All situations, obviously more physical, a lot bigger than Kale McCarr too. Uh, and just, I think, real maturity for his age and leadership skills. Uh, so I wasn't worried when there was the slump to start the season. I'm just, I couldn't believe more in Mo Sider. I think he's a really special talent. He's the kind of anchor that every team wishes it had. Even recently, I think that's like with Wallman out there, the chemistry with those two, I did not expect that to happen. Like they've been highlighting it a lot on Red Wings Live. When one guy's making a pass off to the side, like say Sider push it over to Wallman. Wallman, they're both skating back into their own zone. As soon as Sider makes that pass, he's cutting edge and he's going up ice and they're playing like tic-tac-toe around these uh, four checking forwards. You didn't have that with Sherratt. They were going back and forth and trying to reset or playing around the boards, and they were, being, they were keeping it simple. Now that you've got a guy that can skate and really put the attacking team or the defensive team, I guess, if you, if you will, on edge, that's opened up what Sider can do. And we've talked about a lot that when Detroit is actually using the speed that is available to them, they're a hard team to beat. We've seen it when they played Toronto. We've seen it when they played Tampa. When they use that speed, and use some of the skill that we've seen already from them, they can play with anybody. But then when they sit back on their heels too much, like kind of like today for at least the first half of the game, we see what happens. But it's hard to say that what Wallman's done, he, he brought Cider back out of that shell. And we've seen that recently with his offensive performance too. We thought he had another goal today, but it was just a beautiful redirect in front by Perron. So the points are starting to come back, which is what everyone pretty much kind of gravitates to when, it look, when they're trying to judge, judge somebody. But he's not afraid to throw the body. That's carried on. People have gotten smarter, I think, when trying to go hit Cider this year. This year. Yeah, they just don't. Those, uh, reverse <laughs> hits as much as we, we were loving last season. But he, he's starting to come into his own a little bit this year. And it's really been refreshing to the back end because it seems to be a bit more balanced back there. And it's helping them a little bit but not as much as we would like because they still, you know, let up six goals today. So I don't know. He, he's still the slump. People can argue that there was a sophomore slump. I don't know if I want to call it that. I think it was just part of it getting used to a new coaching staff. The other part of it, maybe not such a great partner. And the other part now where we're at, everything's kind of come together and everyone's used to each other, but in with the right people. Ryan, would you say he swapped boat anchors this season? Oh, going from DeKaiser to Sherratt? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think the the system is another big thing. Newsy had said that they're, they're going to be a team that tries to focus on speed, like you said. And when they focus on that speed, they're a great team. They beat the Tampas. They beat the Torontos. I mean, we, we've beaten Tampa twice this season. That's like been unheard of for the past five years. It just it, it doesn't happen. But with Cider, he... You're, you're right. He, he swapped boat anchors. That's one thing that I'll say about him. But he's... He's just been able to kind of loosen up a bit. I think when he's worked on his defense, we know what he can do defensively. But to free him up offensively and get those chances to to just shoot the puck on net. And I think that's one thing that that he's being told to do more is just when you've got the puck and you've got the opportunity, shoot it. Just get it on net. And that's one thing that Hronik was told uh, by, on Bob, that, baby. by Bob Bugner this season was shoot the puck. When you have the puck, shoot it and it will go. It will find its way in. And it's happened. And instead of looking for the the cute pass or looking for the open guy, get it in front and let the guys in front clean it up. That's why you have a Perron. That's why you have a Michael Rasmussen. 
They're the guys that are going to get oh, in front of the net. Yeah, a, a bear grin. They're going to get in front of the net and try to get it in. So I think that's what Mo is going to try to do more. But then I, he's also now not afraid to pinch in if he needs to because he's got Wallman as kind of the anchor in the back. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing about Cider is is with Sherratt, he was not good, you know, and and he he got dragged down by Sherratt. And now he's playing with Wallman. He's gotten much better. My question is, I'm not worried about cider at all. I'm what's the, what's a word that's not worried, but, but kind of, you know what I mean? Like I'm not particularly worried, worried <laughs> about Lucas mildly Raymond. Concerned. Yeah. Maybe mildly concerned. There you go. I'm mildly concerned with Lucas Raymond. He's Why? pacing to outscore last season. Yeah. I mean, he's the, it, he just passed Gordy Howe. For like the most scoring by uh, under 21 Red Wing. And he's still got like 30 games left. I know, but I test wise, I feel like he looked better last year than he does this year. Is it because you guys look alike? Is that where we're going at right now? Yeah, we keep making fun of right you because you kind of look like you could be related. Well, you know, that that might be possible. And no, I'm Dominican and Italian and he's Swedish. So I, I, I don't think there's much of a. A comparison, you know, <laughs> that way wise, but no, certainly I think looks wise we have we have similar features. Matt, what's your take on Lucas Raymond? Uh, Lucas Raymond, it's it's the same as cider for me. I'm a big believer in Lucas Raymond. I'm still a believer. I I fully expect him to be. I think if not Mitch Marner, I think uh, Henrik Zetterberg. I'm, I guess I'm locked into this Red Wings similar comparison, similar country, but I do think it actually fits just given the fact that Raymond is so intelligent as a player. And I think he's going to be an intelligent two-way player. And I remember I did a story when I was with the Hockey News last year on Cider and Raymond. I got to know both of them for the story. I talked a lot to the Red Wings scouting department and spoke to Sean Horkoff in player development. He raved about Lucas Raymond's video studying. He's a student. He was like a good student in school. He's just a smart, smart kid. And by the time he arrived, that's why he was able to transition so quickly and kind of look like a veteran because his brain is just such an asset. And I think he's going to figure it out, even though he needs to find a little bit of consistency. Maybe people have the book on him a little bit more. The fact that he's gotten hot, even just within the last, it was going into today's game. He had, I think, 14 points in his last 12 games, second star of the week. So it was only a matter of time before he was going to figure it out. He's too talented not to. And I don't think Lucas Raymond is going to be a superstar, I don't think he's going to be challenging for the Art Ross Trophy, but I think he's going to be an 80-point player perennially, and I think he's going to be someone who eventually gets a little bit of Selkie Trophy discussion. I just see that brainy element to his game with his stick as well, even though, like you said, he's not an elite skater, but I just think he does everything else well. He thinks the game so well that I think he's going to be sort of, um, I would describe it as a guy you win with. I could see Lucas Raymond being someone that comes through in the playoffs just because he's so intelligent. What I've seen biggest thing from him this year, and we talked about a lot before with him, and we saw it in the preseason, really, for the video that we talked about last week, I think it was, Greg. He is very positionally sound. When, and it's, you can tell the growth in that sense between last year and this season. He's got a more complete game. And I know whenever you hear Iserman talking, he wants to see those guys playing that 200-foot style of hockey because that's what we got used to with him all those years and that Red Wings team with Scotty. That's what you're starting to see more from Raymond. They're putting more trust in him to go out there and do what's needed in any situation. And if he starts getting more on that, like PK, for instance, as he starts progressing through these next couple of seasons, that's 100% a win for what they've got in that type of guy. 
And that tells me right there that they've got full faith on, in him to go out there and do whatever it takes to make this, make sure this team is being successful. They're already doing it now with him offensively. He's out there in, in power play one. He's out there in the final couple of minutes if you got the goalie pulled. So we're seeing that now from a young player still trying to figure it out in a way. And they're highlighting it again. Like I said, he's already looking to outpace what he had production-wise from last season. Would you like to see more? Probably. But if he hits 60 points this year, you really can't be too upset about that. For a guy his age, where they're at in this whole rebuild process and how things are coming along. And right now, I think with Burt back, that's a huge plus because him, Burt, and Larkin is a fantastic trio out there. And if they can finally click and Burt starts putting those points up again, that means Raymond's going to be getting those points as well. And that's all you can really hope for. I, I, I love where things are trending with Raymond and they can only get better. If he's point, playing at a almost point per game pace, like you mentioned, Matt, over the next couple of seasons, you can't ask for much more. Now it's going to get expensive, but that's also, I think, an expectation that Eisenman has at this point. That's a problem for later, Eisenman. Um, but yeah. Raymond is on pace for 60 points this season. In 20 games played, he had, or the first 20 games, he had six goals, eight assists for 14 points and was a plus two. Now his shooting percentage was 15.8. Now the past 20, he is uh, seven goals, nine assists for 16 points is a minus five, but his shooting percentage went up to 21.9. And that's what you want to see. You want to see Lucas Raymond making more shots. And, and that's, he, he had fantastic hands last season. He was a sniper. And it looks like as the season's gone on, he's been able to regain some of that. And as you said, like, they may have gotten the book on him, Tyler, but that's what generally causes a sophomore slump is, is a team has an entire offseason to look at tape on some of the top new players that came into the league and scheme on how to defend against them. It's up to those players to figure out how to now adapt to that, redevelop those small parts of their game and get back in there. And I'm really happy that it only took Cider and Raymond half a season to do that instead of an entire season. Now that's assuming that they keep up on the pace that they're that they're keep that they're currently on. And I think that's just that's another thing that Raymond can put into his his bag is that he is an highly accurate shooter when when he can get open. And I think that's uh, one thing that he's really worked on. Hopefully someone that can stay healthy to his whole career. I mean, like, look at already he's played most of the games this year and he played all of them last year. So that's that's another thing that you you kind of, Matt kind of said about you know a winning kind of player. He certainly is at this point or to this point, you know, showing that he can stay healthy as well. So yeah, and I think it's staying healthy is a skill that can be linked to intelligence. If you look at the ultimate example all time in NHL history, it's Nicholas Lidstrom, right? The guy who was so incredibly durable because he knew when to avoid a hit. He knew when to get out of a bad situation. And so I do think that there's a connection there between the brain and the ability to avoid getting hurt. I think that'll also help with Mo Sider too, because he's made people so afraid to hit him now that he's just never going to get hurt. So he should be <laughs> relatively healthy throughout his career as well. Or using hands to block shots. <clears throat> yeah, please, God. I, I need to get on my invention team and develop something that can go on the inside of the glove that stops wrists from getting destroyed. Because it seems like there's a big gap in glove protection there. It's just it's a really big issue. I don't know. That's there's my million dollar product idea. Oh, well, they could they could go back and wear the gloves that they used to. You know, the ones that come way up to here. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I think they like the wrist mobility, Tyler. Um, but I think that's where we're going to end it tonight. Matt, thank you for coming on and talking to us. I'm going to give you a chance. Plug whatever you got coming up. Where can people find you? What's going on? Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to come on. I think the Wings are going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch over the next couple months as well. And if you're looking for me, Daily Faceoff Live, we have a live show at noon Eastern every day during the week. I'm usually on on Fridays. Also, Puck Pooley's my new fantasy hockey podcast that runs Tuesday, so that'll be out tomorrow. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday, it'll be out today. That's me and my buddy, Stephen Ellis. Nice. Ryan? Should have reached out to you yesterday. I was trying to figure out who to play between Chandler Stevenson and Nick Backstrom this week. Uh, so far, it's not working out. Stevenson didn't have a hot start, so we'll see how it goes. But no, uh, yeah, already Ryan 33. Tyler? Uh, no, I mean, my final thoughts are, you know, let's just continue to see where this season goes. You know, this team get healthy and, you know, hopefully they can go on a run. And you can follow me on Twitter at SealDog91. My final thoughts are, as always, when you have a guest is going to be, thank you again, Matt, for coming on and taking the time to talk to us. It was great having you on. Uh, you can follow me online at Bringing the Wing. You can follow the Grindline Podcast online at Grindline Pod. We'll give a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet on Twitter for hosting us and spreading our podcast around. We also give a shout out to Vintage Detroit, the only place you should get your Detroit jerseys from and worked on. If you use the promo code Grindline on Howie'sHockeyTape.com, you get 10% off your order. If you use that same promo code on Bring Hockey Back, you'll get 12% off. You can find our own merch at redbubble.com by searching The Grind Line. And you can go to YouTube and sub to our channel to see all of our beautiful faces, plus this uh, special guest here who just has fantastic wonderful hair. hair. Absolutely fantastic <laughs> hair. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> my trademark, apparently. <laughs> but again, check out Matt's stuff on the Daily Face Off. There's fantastic content coming out constantly from them, so go check it out. But that is going to do it for us tonight. So for Ryan and Tyler, I am Greg. You stay classy, Hockey Town.